Welcome everyone. We're continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 48. We're discussing the subject of physical pleasures. We said last week that in order for for us to maximize our ability to enjoy all of life's pleasures, we first have to know what they are, obviously. And we have to know all the rules, like everything in life. Rules are the only way to be able to enjoy anything that you do. Even playing a simple game without rules, you cannot enjoy it. Certainly the game of life needs rules and you need to know what they are. Last week, we spoke about the counterfeit of the physical pleasure world that most people fall for this mindset. It's misleading. That's why it's called counterfeit. It might seem obvious, but it's also obviously wrong. We spoke about the counterfeit of more is more. In reality, in the physical world, pleasures more is less. More isn't more. We spoke about boundaries. That in reality, boundaries are needed in order to enjoy this physical world. Today, I'd like to discuss with you a second and third important rule in the world of pleasures. These rules are going to apply in every type of pleasure that we study. Right now, we're in the physical world, physical pleasure world. The second rule of enjoying life's pleasures is that if you don't put the pain then you're not going to get the pleasure. No pain, no pleasure. Any real pleasure in this world, even in the, in the physical kind, if you want a lasting life of physical pleasure, you must put in pain. If, th- if something comes to you without pain, without investment, then it's probably not worth writing. Simple examples. If a person wants to enjoy playing piano, there is great pleasure in playing music. But if you don't know how to do it, because you didn't put in the pain, so 
you may have the freedom to sit down on the bench and stop moving your fingers, they will tell you, you can go ahead, you can do it. But if you don't put in the pain to practice, to learn, you're not going to be able to enjoy the pleasure of playing piano. There's great pleasure in being a doctor, healing people. We all know how how amazing kindness feels when you help somebody. I can't imagine a greater kindness than to heal somebody. Here you have a person who may be dying, who is in pain. They come to you and you have this magic that you're able to make them feel better or save their lives. And you're doing that all day long. How unbelievable is that? There are many people who do that just as volunteers. Because it's such an unbelievable kindness to help others. Give them life and give them comfort. But for most of us, that pleasure is not available. We cannot enjoy the pleasure of healing because we didn't put in the pain. Someone says, you know what? I really want to enjoy healing people. How come I can't do it? Why is it not available to me? No pain, no pleasure. You have to put in pain. You have to go to school. You have to work for many years. You have to be a resident. You have to work really hard. And then you'll be able to do what is pleasurable to help others. Even a simple game of basketball. Very enjoyable to play basketball, but only if you know how to play. And you're not born knowing how to play. You need to practice. You need to do what it takes for months and years in order to be able to enjoy that game. Learning Torah, no different. There is nothing more enjoyable, forget the benefit, but there's nothing more enjoyable, just mere pleasure, than sitting and learning Torah. But for most people, that pleasure is not available. It's not there. They can't get it. They have no access to it. Because when they open a book, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to learn. I used to make some big mistakes years back. I would get up in front of a lot of people, a lot of men, and inspire them to come and learn. Because truly, in the world that I've lived in, which is the same world they've lived in, I don't have any higher pleasure than sitting and learning. Forget that I'm doing a mitzvah or I, or you know I'm being an Eved Hashem. All the nice words. Forget all that. There's nothing more enjoyable. So I get up there and speak about the enjoyment and the pleasure of learning. And then if there's a thousand people listening, maybe ten would show up on Monday morning. They're ready to go. People would come after they're ready to go. I said, be there Monday morning. And they come in Monday morning and they join the Gemara class. 
and they obviously don't know what they're doing till they find the book, till they find the spot. Very small words, different fonts that maybe they're not so familiar with. And then you start learning and you give one piece of information. It takes a little time to digest, to understand. Finally, after three, four times, they get it. Then the Gemara comes and asks a question on what we just said. It took us five minutes to understand it. Now the Gemara says, wait, that doesn't make sense. Now you have to go figure out why it doesn't make sense. It takes five minutes to understand why what you first understood, which took you five minutes first. Now you realize five minutes later that that doesn't even make sense. And then you open up Rashi and says, well, the Gemara doesn't make sense. Because what we originally said made sense. And then there's a little more of that. And by the time that 45 minutes or an hour is over, you can bet that most of those guys are never coming back. <laughs> because they're so confused. They don't understand what the Gemara first said. And when they finally understood it, then they got lost in the second point. And when they understood the second point, they forgot the first point. And that's how it goes, without exaggeration. I wish I was trying to be funny, I'm not. That's the way it goes. It is an hour of suffering. They don't really understand the words. They can't appreciate the back and forth. And they walk out of there and they never come back. This has happened many times over. Probably they walked out feeling either that I lied to them, or that they were different, maybe their mind is built different, or some other excuse why, for some reason, the Torah and them just didn't go. In reality, if I was smarter then, I would have sat down with them first and had a meeting before they actually showed up to the class and explained to them that experiencing the pleasure of learning cannot happen unless you put in the pain. Do not expect to come in Monday morning, lay down and enjoy the knowledge of Torah. It's not like that. It's not a beach chair. You have to work hard. You have to start learning the words. You have to start understanding how to argue. You have to start learning how to understand what's something that's true and not true what makes sense and doesn't make sense. That takes a long time. Do not expect to come here and opening it up, the Gemara, and just saying, great, the same way nobody expects to get on the basketball court and play like a pro. Nobody expects to be on the piano and play like a pianist. Nobody should expect to go and learn. I don't mean listen to a class. Listen to a class is also learning. That's not what I'm talking about. Learning means opening up a Gemara, opening a book, and really delving into it. Do not expect to enjoy it unless you put in the pain. Now that's what, that's what school is supposed to be for. It's supposed to teach people how to learn. But unfortunately, either, either the school didn't do its job, or the children weren't so interested. But one way or the other, many people never actually learned how to learn. 
So no pain, no pleasure. That's a real rule. It's a rule in all pleasures, even in the physical kind. You know, when you hear the word pain, you probably become uncomfortable. We don't like the word pain. And according to what I just told you, it comes out that if you don't put in pain, then you're not going to be able to enjoy the physical world. So while we definitely want to enjoy, the sound of pain makes us feel a little bit bad or a little bit down or a little bit uncomfortable. So let's learn the third rule. The third rule is a very important complement of the first one. The third rule says that if you keep your eye on the pleasure, you will not feel the pain. It's a very important rule. Because nobody likes to go through pain voluntarily. Nobody says, you know, I want to be in pain. Sometimes we have to go through it. But here we're going to ask you if you want to enjoy the physical world, you're going to have to volunteer for pain. Who is going to volunteer to do anything painful? You have to be a little off to do that. Well, comes the third rule and says, not to worry. Because if you keep your eye on the pleasure, you will not feel the pain. I'll give you an example. A beautiful example. I don't think there's a better example of this. At least not that I can think of. Playing basketball, for those who play, like we mentioned, is very enjoyable. Those who play and enjoy could play for hours. Hours, I, I mean four, five, six, seven hours. They could play straight. A little break in between, a few drinks, and they're good to go. They run back and forth hundreds and hundreds of times. What if someone would get on the court and tell the 10 players, you know something? Keep on running back and forth just like you've been for the last half hour. But give me the ball. I'm taking the ball away from you. But you go ahead. You just keep running back and forth. Keep doing what you're doing. Jump, run, do whatever you're doing. How long can their bodies sustain this back and forth of running, turning and running, turning and running, jumping? So my bet and my experience is that they probably could not go more than 10 times. 10, 10, 11, 12, if they're in really good shape, maybe more. At some point, their body will be like, they can't breathe. And if you ask them, what happened? Why'd you stop? I can't, my body can't do it anymore. But yesterday, your body did 500 times back and forth. You didn't complain once. Same body, the same court, the same distance. And today, you're sitting there and you can't go 10 times? What happened to you? And the answer is obvious. The answer is that 
so long as the ball is on the court. So the ball represents the game. The ball is the pleasure. While you're playing and your eyes on the ball, your eyes on the pleasure, you don't feel the pain. You're running 500 times and you don't even feel it. But once you take away the pleasure, now all you're focused on is the pain. When you're focused on the pain, there's not much that you can do. And so it goes. The third rule says that even though I told you that in order to enjoy this physical world, you must put in the pain, but not to worry. Because if while you're putting in the pain, your eyes on the pleasure, you won't even feel the pain. You'll actually enjoy what you're doing. For example, a young man in medical school, learning to be a doctor, it's going to take a lot of investment and sacrifice and work. Is it going to be enjoyable, the 10 years of preparation? Or is it going to be so painful? Well, it all depends. It's going to depend if his eye is on the prize. So long as that young man is envisioning, he's seeing in the future himself healing and helping people and whatever it is that he, want, he wanted to do this for, then he won't even feel the pain. He'll actually enjoy being in school. But imagine for a moment or for a day or a month, he forgot why he's there. Then all he sees is the pain. All he feels is the hard work. When you're focused on the pain, it becomes unbearable. When you're focused on the pleasure, you hardly feel the pain. You may even enjoy the ride. So the third rule is a very important follow-up of the second rule. So yes, no pain, no pleasure. Don't expect to really enjoy the physical world without putting pain. But at the same time, don't worry about the pain because you're going to be focused on the pleasure. So as so long as you do that, you're in good shape. So what pain must we put in, what is the price of enjoying the physical world? I want to maximize my pleasure in the physical world. I want not a minute, not an hour. I want it all. I really want to get the max pleasure out of this world. I want to enjoy every possible moment possible. So what do I have to do? What's the price that I have to pay? So I want to tell you one of our biggest challenges in life, or let's start better before challenges. One of our biggest desires in life, something that sometimes we want more than anything else, is the desire for freedom. As humans, we're almost programmed, not almost, we probably are programmed, 
to want to be free. We don't like when we are told what to do. We don't like being forced into something, even if it's good for us. But we want to choose with our own freedom. Nations will go to war and a lot of lives are at risk, just like we see today. There are countries fighting and losing people, losing fathers and husbands and children daily, hundreds, thousands of people. What are they fighting for? They're fighting for freedom. They don't want to be under somebody else's control. They want to be free. And they're willing to risk their life just to have freedom. Freedom is often used as a metaphor for life itself. This is why prison is considered such a terrible punishment. In prison, you get fed, you sleep, but you don't have freedom. So it's almost as if I'm taking your life when I take away your freedom. People don't even like working for others. People want to be their own boss. And sometimes they don't even make the same money. They'd rather work for themselves. They don't want to be told what to do. Even little children who don't understand the one plus one. They don't understand anything. They're not mature-minded. But yet, even a little child expresses this great desire for freedom every step of the way. He doesn't want you to feed him if he could eat himself. How does he know that? Who taught him that? What school did he go to that told him, you know, Eat yourself. It's better than somebody feeding you. The answer is that Hashem has clearly put in our body this natural desire for freedom. He doesn't want you to hold His hand if He could walk alone. He doesn't want your help. He wants to be free. He doesn't want to be told when to sleep. He doesn't want to be told when to eat. He doesn't want to be told. And as children get older, they don't get better in this. Try talking to your teenage boy and try to tell him to do something. See the reaction. Unless you have an angel at home, you're probably going to get looks. You're probably going to get a little pushback. One father once told me, I have the magic trick. I get my children to do everything I want them to do. I said, you got to share that trick. What do you do? He says, I always tell them to do the opposite of what I want. <laughs> I don't recommend that. I don't think that's such a great Hainuch tool. But that's the reality. It almost feels that way. It almost feels that no matter what you tell your teenage son or daughter, they just want to do the opposite. It's the nature 
of humans. They didn't pick that up anywhere. They were given that at birth. Every human wants to be free. Restriction is viewed as one of the worst evils or worst pain. By the way, it's not only humans. The entire world is that way. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Gevul Samta Bal Ya'avurun. Hashem made a boundary, He made a restriction for the waters. When Hashem created the, water, the waters and the land on the second day of creation, the sea wanted to be unrestricted. The sea just wanted to keep going. Hashem says, Gevul Samta Atkan. Hashem made a boundary for the water. Whenever you're, you're by the ocean and you see the water coming and then stops, Hashem made a Gevul for that. Why do you have to make a Gevul? Why do you have to make a boundary? Because even water wants to cross all boundaries. We want to be free. We don't like to be inhibited. We don't like to be closed. We just want to keep going. Hashem had to make a special statement. Gebul Samta. Hashem made a boundary. Bal Ya'avarun. So they don't pass. Bal Yeshuvun Lechasot Haaretz. So they don't come and cover and destroy the earth. I have to share something with you that I'm not so comfortable sharing. But I feel like it's an important part of this subject and I don't want to avoid it. So you'll forgive me. The Pasuk in Parashat Balak discusses how the Jewish people in the desert had a certain Yerida. It went down. We're not going to go into the subject. Why? But bottom line, the Pasuk says, Vayitzamed Yisrael, the Jewish people got very connected. Lebaal Peor. They got very connected to the Avodah Zarah, idol worship, but not just a regular idol worship, specific one. It's called Baal Peor. They got very into Baal Peor. This type of idol worship. What is Baal Peor? What kind of idol worship is Baal Peor? In other words, how do they worship it? You know, every idol has its rules and has its way of being worshipped. In fact, we have a Masechet called Masechet Abu Dazara. And it goes through some of the ways the Goyim would worship this idol or that idol. For one, they would make stones. For one, they would do all, all different types of things. How does one worship Baal Peor? So Rashi brings us from the words of Hazal that the way they would worship Baal, Baal Peor is, and you'll excuse me for this, they would relieve themselves on the idol. So someone has to go to the bathroom. He would go to Baal Peor, the idol, and he would relieve himself on the idol. Who? 
Can't believe it. Imagine that's your idol worship. The Gemara speaks about a man once who went in there and he did something really disgusting. And the priest told him, you know, since we opened this temple, we never had someone worship the idol like you. <laughs> something so disgusting like that, we never saw it. Hazako Baruch. Beautiful job. That's what it was. And you read this and you say to yourself, what is this? What kind of sick people worship Baal Peor? And if you say, well, you know, there's a lot of crazy people out there. This was Am Yisrael. The Jewish people got so connected to Baal Peor. That doesn't say they worship Baal Peor. Vayitzamit, Vayitzamit, they got so into it. They loved it. They couldn't believe it. Could you imagine Am Yisrael, the children of Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov, the children that saw Matan Torah and Har Sinai? Could you imagine that they wouldn't just worship Baal Peor, they got connected to it. I mean, they loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. What, what, is, what is wrong with them? We, we hope and we probably imagine that if that was us, we would say, come on. What is that? I would never do that. But, like most things, when you don't understand them, they look and seem ridiculous. But if you study a little more, you realize it's not so ridiculous. So as disgusting as that might sound, but there's a logic to it. And it makes sense. Because you see, humans want to be hofshi. As we already mentioned, we like freedom. We don't want rules. We don't like rules. Don't tell me what to wear. Don't tell me how to talk. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me anything. I want to do whatever I wish. The ultimate freedom I don't want rules. Not from my mother, not my father, not from society, not from government, not from rabbis, not from anybody. I want to live a lawless life. No rules. I want to do whatever I want. And that was the great attraction of Baal Peor. The God of Baal Peor basically says, you could do anything you want. And not only is it okay, it's perfect. You come to your temple and you do it by the idol. No problem. There are no rules here. There are no restraints. You could do whatever you like. Guess what? For a nation like Am Yisrael that lives with so many restrictions, there isn't a human on the planet who is as restricted as a Jew. We're restricted in the way we talk, in the way we dress, in who we marry, in how we marry, and so much more. Everything we do literally is restricted before you buy something. 
you have to think about a number of reasons why maybe you shouldn't buy it. Before you eat something, you have to ask yourself, wait, can I eat that? Wait, did I make a beracha? Which beracha? Is it covered by the other beracha? Every move we make, and Shabbat, it's another level of restriction. To a nation that's restricted, you offer Baal Peor, you're offering freedom. Freedom from everything. Nothing can tell you what to do. That is very, very attractive. Unrestrained freedom. Freedom from complexes, freedom from guilt. Guilt is also a certain type of restriction. You feel guilty, you don't feel good. No more guilt. You're free. Do whatever you want. Baal Peor. So, so far we spoke about the price that one has to pay to enjoy the physical world. We also spoke about how by nature we love freedom. We don't like restriction. But guess what? The pain that you must invest to enjoy this physical world, the investment that you must put in is you must live with boundaries. You must live with restriction. And that's not an easy thing to do. Because if restriction is such a natural desire of a human, to tell this human, restrict yourself, that's painful. But restriction and boundaries are your only ticket to a great life of physical pleasure. By the way, this message was perhaps the first message in the first story of the creation of the world. We find Adam Rishon in Gan Eden. Hashem put him in Gan Eden as we discussed last week. He is in the garden of pleasure. This is the purpose of creation. The entire world and all that's in it was made just for him. Because he has a very high purpose. So now we come to the Torah and Adam comes to Hashem and is waiting to hear his mission statement. Imagine a great rabbi would call the entire community and says, Rabotai, tonight we need to gather all together in a stadium because I have a very important message. I need you all to be there. I bet everyone would go. What's he have to say? He never does that. What message could he? Maybe the Mashiach is coming. Maybe he got a letter. Maybe what? What does he? What does he say? What does he want? Imagine standing millions of people by Har Sinai, waiting to hear the instructions of life. This is Adam Arishon on the first day of his creation. 
And Hashem is about to tell him what this is all about. It's all about you and your mission. Okay, I'm ready. What is it? What do I got to do? Hashem tells him, just don't eat from that tree. And that's it. What do you mean? What, could you imagine you went to the stadium and the rabbi says, guys, stop eating strawberries. That's it. No more strawberries. I think I'd be a little disappointed. You you brought us all here so we don't eat strawberries? That's the whole thing? We're gathered by Har Sinai so we shouldn't eat an apple? That, that's what life's all about? That's the purpose of life? That Adam shouldn't eat an apple? That's it? There's a lot more depth to this question that I'm not going to go into today. But on a simple level, Hashem wasn't necessarily giving him the purpose of life. He was giving him the instructions of how to stay in Gan Eden. If you want to live in Gan Eden, in this world, if you want to live in the garden of pleasure, you have to know what your restrictions are and you stay away from them. You're in Gan Eden. Don't eat from that. Because the minute you cross your boundary and you take from something you shouldn't be taking, you know what happened when he ate from the fruit? He got thrown out of Gan Eden. You cannot live in this world in Gan Eden. We all, like we mentioned last week, we all have the opportunity of living in Gan Eden, in this world. But we will never be able to stay in Gan Eden if we don't live by the restrictions. That's what Hashem told Adam Arishon. And the minute he ate from the forbidden fruit, the minute he crossed that boundary, he was kicked out of Gan Eden. In fact, the word Eden, Eden, the Ibn Ezra explains, is Ein Dalet Nun. But the Ibn Ezra explains in Kohelet that the word Eden is made up of two words. Ad until hen, here. Eden means pleasure, but Eden also means until here. Because if you don't have an until here, then you can never enjoy the physical world's pleasures. That was Adam Harishon's first and such an important principle that Hashem gave him. And the minute he messed up, all the bad things came. Mita came to the world, death. Woman now had to have a painful time with childbirth and raising children. All of that happened because someone didn't want to live by the rules and the restrictions that Hashem gave him. Someone wanted full freedom. So the pain that we have to put 
before we can expect to enjoy this physical world and maximize that is the pain of boundaries. And like we mentioned, nobody likes boundaries. By nature, we don't like boundaries. So this is gonna be a pretty difficult situation. But remember, you keep your eye on the pleasure, you won't feel the pain. If you are focused on the boundaries, it's gonna be very hard. If Adam Arishon is focused on the tree he can't eat from, if that's all he can think about, it's going to be a pretty rough trip. But if he's able to think about all the pleasures that's going, to, that's going to bring him, then it's not a problem. So how does a person do that? How does a person, first of all, know what boundaries he should put? What are the boundaries? How much? Where? When? With whom? How is a human supposed to know the boundaries to everything in life. So, I'd like to discuss with you something that you're all familiar with, but needs a little more explanation. We know that in Judaism, we also have a day of independence. Just like in this country, there's July 4th, which is the day that commemorates the independence of this country. The Jewish people also have a day of independence. It's called Pesach. Well, if you look in the Sidur, in our prayers, when we speak about Pesach, we say and describe the day as Zeman Herutenu. It's the time of our freedom. I think most of us know that word, herut, freedom. But you will be surprised when I tell you this. That the word herut does not appear in all of Tanakh. Freedom does appear in Tanakh, but not the word Herut. And we know that our Hebrew comes from Tanakh. So could you imagine that our rabbis, when they came to help us with the Tfilot, they wanted to describe the freedom of Pesach, they made up a word. But there is a word in Hebrew for freedom. That word is Hofshi. That's right. The Torah speaks about an Eved Ivri, a Jewish slave. It says he works for six years, and on the seventh year, Yetze, he goes out, La Hofshi. He goes to his freedom. So there is a word in Tanakh for freedom. It's called Hofshi, Hofesh. Yet when it comes to describing the freedom of Pesach, Hazal, instead of taking the word of the Torah, Zeman Hofshenu, they use a word Zeman 
Herutenu. Where does that word come from? Where did they find it? Why did they not use the Torah's word? It's a very important question. I'm going to come back to that question later. Another question that we should ask, maybe some already have asked. Why is it that we refer to Pesach as the time of our freedom? In reality, I would not describe Pesach as the holiday where we became free. While we were free from Paro'ah, the Pasuk says, when Hashem told Moshe, go to Paro'ah and give him the message. Tell him, Shalah et Ami, very famous words. Let my people go. I bet you've heard that before. Now usually, when people say that, they say, let my people go. Period. Exclamation mark. But the Pasuk doesn't end there. It says, let my people go, ve'ya'avduni, so they could serve me. On Pesach, we did not become free people. We just exchanged masters. We went from being servants of Para to being servants of Hashem. Now, I would say that's reason to celebrate. We should definitely celebrate. Maybe it's better to be a servant of God than to be a servant of Paro'ah. We should celebrate. Bring Korban Pesach. Do all of what we do. But don't call it the time of freedom. That's not really true. Because if you measure the slavery that was under Paro'ah, or the slavery of being a Jew under God, I think the slavery under God is much more. It's much more slavery. Parao didn't care what you put into your mouth. Parao didn't care what you looked at. Parao didn't care what you listened to. Parao did not care what you said. Parao didn't care who you were with. Parao didn't care what you wore. Paro didn't care what you thought. Paro didn't care what you did with your free time. Yes, there was a slavery by Paro. No question about that. I'm not saying that was a great thing. But certainly if you're measuring slavery, the slavery of being a Jew is far more than the slavery of being Paro's slave. So how could we look each other in the face and say, this is the time of our freedom. That seems to be inaccurate. Again, celebrate that you are now an Eved Hashem. Celebrate that. It's beautiful. You love to be a servant of God. Great. But why are you calling it Zeman Herutenu? Why is it a time of freedom? How does that make sense? So we need to learn a little something about freedom. It should be an obvious point, what I'm about to say, but it's not so obvious. And I would say most of humanity 
is blind to this obvious piece of information that I'm about to tell you. When you think of freedom, this desire that we have for freedom, usually it's expressed in freedom from being told what to do. I've seen it called freedom from. I'm free from this person directing me, this person forcing me, this person telling me. Nobody on top of me. Freedom from. I have no one to answer to. And when I have no one to answer to, then I feel really free. That is the general understanding of freedom in people's eyes. The less I have to answer to, the more free I am. The problem with that understanding of freedom is that in reality, it doesn't really do much for you. I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to give you a mashal. give you a little example. Imagine there was somebody standing by the piano bench saying, you cannot sit and play. I'm not letting you. You're restricted. I'm sorry. You're not sitting. It's my piano. It's my bench. You're not sitting. And you're saying, oh, I feel so restricted. I want to go sit there. I want to play the piano. I feel like I really want to do it. But you can't. You're not allowed in. It's locked. And you don't have the keys. And then one day, after much, much pleading and praying, finally, they say, you know something? The restrictions are off. You're now free. Go ahead. You want to play the piano? You have freedom from. No problem. So you feel so good. Ah, finally, I'm free. I can sit on the bench. I can play piano. And then you start playing the piano. And you know what happens when you play piano? When you don't know how to play piano? You should come to my house and see me play. That's what it sounds like. Horrible. It is horrible. The sounds are just, they give you a headache. Noise. What did the freedom to play the piano do for you if you don't know how to play the piano? What value is there in freedom from if you don't know how to use the freedom? The real freedom of a piano is knowing how to play. Isn't life like a piano? Isn't life have so many keys with so many little bumps along the way? And you have to know which key to press and which key to stay away from in order to be able to play the song of life. What value is there in saying, 
I have total freedom. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm free. Great. Now what? Go ahead. You're on the piano. You're in life. Let me see you play the keys of life. Let me see how you do. But you don't know how to play. You get angry when you're supposed to be calm. You stay calm when you're supposed to be a little angry. You talk back when you're supposed to be quiet. You stay quiet when you're supposed to talk back. You're humble when you're supposed to be a little strong. You're strong when you're supposed to be a little more humble. What does freedom from help you if you don't know how to use it? The great freedom that we desire in reality is the desire to live life with perfect, perfect music where a person is able to enjoy every key. Life is very, very unique in that every moment probably has another spice with it. You gotta know how to play that music, that sound. You gotta pick up the note and know which key to press. And in truth, think about it. Think about this. When we look around the world, we realize that as much of a desire that we have as humans to be free, we look around us and we realize that actually humans are all slaves. It's almost as if they were coded to be slaves. So while they have this unbelievable desire to break out, but as you look around you, you just see a bunch of slaves. We're all slaves. Think about how many things we are slaves to in life. Some of our masters are relatively innocent. Like the craving of food. How many diets have you gone on in your life? Why don't you go switch diet? So they'll say, because it didn't work. That's not why. Because you didn't do it. And why? Because you couldn't resist the chocolate. You couldn't resist the cake. You, you tried. You said, let me take one bite. One bite is not going to hurt. And the one bite turned into many more bites. And there's no more cake in the house. And then you said, the diet wasn't good. It's not working. Of course not working. Craving for food. Food is our master. Other desires are much more harmful. How many people are slaves to alcohol, to smoking, to drugs, to gambling? Slaves. Slaves to the point where they literally need their hand held their entire life. 
when a person is a slave to alcohol, they don't just walk out and say, okay, I'm free for the rest of their life. They have to go and have someone hold their hand to make sure they don't go back. That's not one person. It's not a million people. We're talking hundreds of millions of people are literally slaves to very harmful masters. How about the slavery of lust? How about bad habits that we have that we can't shake? How many here are slaves to their anger? You know how much anger plays a role in our lives? While we don't always outwardly show our anger, but the inner anger is boiling. We see a person and we're just on fire inside. The neighbor makes us crazy. We think about that person that hurt us 30 years ago and we're still upset. And someone tells you, come on, break out of it. Enough. Anger doesn't make you feel good. Anger is a terrible, terrible part of our existence. But you can't let go. Could you just say, okay, you know what? Fine, I won't be angry. You can't do it. Because you're a slave. We're a slave to anger. We're a slave to Lashon Hara. Today people take on programs. Ten minutes a day, no Lashon Hara. You heard that? Torah says, don't speak Lashon Hara. You know, you know which day of the week is Torah? Which day of the week was the Torah talking about? When it says, do not speak Lashon Hara. Was it Torah Sunday? Monday? Tuesday? Which day was it? Every day. Every day. And which hour of the day? Every hour. But the weaklings of our generation, which is us, because we can't do it for five minutes, so we need to say, okay, ten minutes on Tuesday morning, when I'm half asleep, I'm not going to speak Lashara, Le'elui Nishmat. And by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. We should do it. But I'm just showing you how hazit we are. That we can't control our mouth for 10 minutes. It's such an unbelievable thing. What happened to us? We can't. We have a master. We like to talk. We love it. Peer pressure. You're telling me you don't have masters? Everything we do. What are they going to say? Of course, nobody's proud to say that. But you all know that it plays a very big role in our lives. The Sefer HaHinuch says one of the biggest powers in life, he says, is peer pressure. Good peer pressure or bad peer pressure? Everything we do, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? How do I look to others if I wear this? How do I look in my car when others see me? Peer pressure. And so, come on, stop. What's the difference? Who cares what they think? What does it matter? Want to get a car? Get a comfortable car. What does it matter? What does it matter what they're going to say? It sounds so simple. But, you're right. But I don't know. It matters. I can't explain why. Master. Peer pressure. 
People are slaves to work. Less today than others, than, than years past. But still today, people are slaves to their work. Some people, they just can't get away. Slaves to technology. It almost seems like every new gadget that's supposed to help us and make our life easier turns to be a new master that we can't live without. People today have a hard time being alone. They need something with them at all times. Whether it's a phone or a computer. Jealousy. Let's talk about jealousy for a minute. How many of us are jealous so much of the time? Probably we will answer not so much. But if I had the time, and I don't, I will be able to help you and me realize that we're jealous most of the time. We get jealous of so many things. And if I say, come on, jealousy is painful. Stop being jealous. Enough. Don't be jealous. What's yours is yours. What's theirs is theirs. Stop looking. Sounds so simple and nice. But we can't. We have a master called jealousy. We have a master called desires. We have a master called kavod. We like when people recognize us. We want it. We need it. We're starving for it. Go over to a young man or a young lady and say, I'm so proud of you. You look great. Ah, he just lit up his life. We need kabod. We need to be recognized. We need to be told you're someone important. You're something special. What does it matter what other people think? What does it matter? You're right. But you have a master. The Kuzari writes, listen to this Kuzari. He says, En ani mevakesh. He says, I only ask one thing. Ki im I want freedom. Min hashi'ibud larabim. I want to stop being a slave to so many people. The Khuzari, he's not a slave. No, he's a slave, like all of us. We are slaves to slaves. Eved Abadim. We're a slave to other slaves. The guy that you're a slave to, by the way, he's probably a slave to you too. You're both masters to each other. So as we look at society, so it's, it's, a, it's a, such an interesting thing. On one hand, we see a burning desire to become free. On the other hand, we see a world full of slaves. What is going on? What's happening? Why is my burning desire for freedom not helping me become free. 
And it's not just me, it's you, it's everybody. The answer is like this. This is a very critical answer. You need a coach. That's the bottom line. You need a coach that's going to help you going to help me, it's going to coach me how to have the freedom to, how to be able to maximize my ability of playing life's piano. Just like you can't play piano without an instructor, I mean you could try, but if you had an instructor that came and gave you clear instructions and they coached you, they would give you the freedom. Wanting to play the piano doesn't give you the freedom. Even playing the piano doesn't give you the freedom. You need a coach who's going to guide you. You'll forgive me, I'm going to say a story I said probably a thousand times, but it's a good story and it's the only way I have to explain what I have to say. It's a true story also. It's a story of a 11-year-old me years ago. 11 or 12. I think I was 11. And finally I made it to the basketball team. It was a lot of work to make it to the basketball team. And then they accepted me. Probably it was Hessen who did me a kindness. But I felt good about it then. And as being part of the team, you don't just play games. You have to practice. So if you play a game once every week or two, you practice two or three times a week. So we go to practice every week for an hour or two. We have a coach that's guiding us every step of the way. And this coach that we had is a good man. He was a little bit of a rough man. So he would yell at us a lot. And I would say probably the thing he would yell about most, if anyone understands the game of basketball, they know that we have a right hand and a left hand. The better you are at using both, the better you'll be on the basketball court. If you're limited to only your right hand. So you become limited on the court. There's just so much you could do. So he would yell and scream at us, guys, you got to shoot with your left hand. You got to dribble with your left hand. You just got to use your left hand. And of course, as young children, we want to have a good time. Playing with our left hand is not a good time. We don't really enjoy it that much. So we would go use it once and then go right back. And this would happen every practice. And he would give us these talks and he would yell at us and we would huddle together. And finally, I guess he had it with us. One week, we walk into the gym. And we see an empty gym with 15 big ropes. You know the ropes where they hang people from? Like those. 15 ropes sitting on the floor next to the wall. Like, okay, we're little, but like, 
We're getting a little bit scared. What? What? And we know this guy's a little nuts. What's he doing? He said, "Okay, guys, turn, face the wall." It's really happening. Put your arms behind your back, Shema Bottom line, the man took 15 ropes and 15 right hands and tied them all behind our back and says, okay guys, today's practice, lefty. I'm telling you what a practice that was. It was not very, very fun. I imagine that somebody was looking in that day or that night from the window of the gym, looking inside and seeing 15 kids with a coach with their ropes behind their back. And they would say, what is going on here? And someone would ask his friend, is he giving them freedom? Say, what freedom? He took away their freedom. They can't use their right hand. But in reality, let's think about reality. The reality is that the future of each one of us was much brighter in the game of basketball because of nights like those. Because nights like those tied our right hand so we can become more free with our left. Because on the basketball court, if you can't go left, then you are stuck. The defender says, go ahead. You go this way, no problem. You're free to go left. But you can't. They'll give you the freedom from, but you don't have the freedom to. Can't do it. So this coach actually guided us in how to be able to play with our left hand. He gave us another freedom too. He needed to tie our right hand because if he had both hands, we would never use the left hand. And that's exactly what Hashem does with us. Every single Torah commandment that says, don't do this. Don't say that. Don't look at that. Every single don't do in the Torah is the coach tying your right hand behind your back. Not because his goal is to tie you. The opposite. His goal is to give you freedom in life. But if you talk like that, you're not going to enjoy your life. You can't play the music of life with talking that way. You can't play the music of life if you treat people that way. And so too, Hashem says, don't do that. Don't look here. Don't go there. Don't wear that. Don't touch that. And we say, don't do quit my freedom. No, no, no. He's not taking away your freedom. The opposite. He's giving you freedom. He's allowing you to play the piano of life. He's giving you the ability to live a life without anger. 
to live a life without jealousy, to live a life that you're in control, to live a life of simha. Who has the capability of living life of simha? Only with a coach. A coach that ties our hands to the things that don't allow simha to ever happen. You can't be a free person like Baal Peor free and have simha because you'll be a slave. While you're not a slave to certain things, you become a slave to many more things. The human is a slave by nature. We're programmed to be slaves. And this is my last point. We asked at the beginning of the class, where did this word herutenu come from? Where did the rabbis find it? It's not in the Torah. So interestingly enough, there is in the Torah the letters het, resh, vav, tav, harut. Not herut. Herut means freedom. Never herut. But the same letters do appear in the Torah. As you know, the Torah has no nekudot. So we know it's written het, but we read it harut. This happened when Am Yisrael received the Torah and the tablets. It says that the tablets had the words engraved in the tablet. The word engraved in Hebrew is harut. Harut al-haluhot. Our rabbis say on that pasuk, Al tikre harut. Don't read it engraved. Oh, that's what it means. But Hazal said, no, there's a deeper message here. It's herut. It means freedom. And they explain, there isn't a free man or a free person in this planet unless he's living by the guidance of the Torah. It's not possible to be a completely free person unless you had the coach of the world coaching you to real freedom. Al-Tikra Harut. Don't call it engraved. Say Harut, freedom. Because the Torah's goals the commandments of the Torah is to make you a free man. You see, if you're a slave to Paro, he just wants you to serve him. You're there to help him. But when you're a servant of Hashem, he's there to help you. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need my service. Slavery to Hashem is saying, be my coach. A coach is not taking for himself. He's guiding others. Why engraving? Why did Hashem engrave the Luhot? Why didn't He write on the Luhot? Why didn't Hashem take ink and write it on the tablets? Why did He specifically engrave them? And the answer is that when you write on top of the Luhot, number one, you can easily erase it. And number two, the writing is on top of the tablet. 
but it's not part of the tablet. But when you engrave, A, you can't erase it. And B, it's part of the tablet. The writing is part and parcel of the tablet. What Hazal is saying is that when the Torah becomes engraved in your heart, not sitting on top, no, not that you're doing mitzvot because you saw someone else doing it, not because you're following the norms of the society that lives around you. Oh, people don't drive on Shabbat, neither do I. People don't do that, neither do I. No, no, no. That's called written on the Luhat. But when the Torah becomes engraved in your Luhat, when the Torah becomes in your live, when it becomes part of your life and part of your heart, then you start to become a free person. The Torah actually trains you to be a free person. And that's why we call Zman Herutenu. Pesach is the time of our freedom. We left Paro. But we went to a time of freedom because when we're in Eved Hashem, Hashem is guiding us to true freedom. Never again should we look at the Torah's restrictions as restrictive. The Torah's restrictions are only to make you free. Just like that coach. He did not restrict us that night. He made us free that night. That is the wisdom of the Torah. Harut ala luchot. Internalize it. Bring it into your heart. It'll make you a free person. Free to play the piano of life. Free to be able to do all of what you want to do. Free to be happy. Tell somebody, be happy. Don't worry. You know that saying. Don't worry. Be happy. You Don't you want to smack someone when they say that to you? You look worried. Don't worry. Be happy. And you want to go, And the reason why you want to do that is because you say that, do you think I choose to do this? Are you, are you accusing me of being a foolish person who is insane that decides not to be happy? Is that what you're saying? Don't worry, be happy. As if I'm a little child who made a silly mistake. Oh, don't do that. Put it here. You're saying to the person, I can't be happy. That's why I'm not happy. I cannot worry. What do you want from me? I can't. I can't do it. Don't insult me and tell me, don't worry, be happy. I can't do it. You think I want to do it? You think I want to feel this way? You think I want to be jealous? You think I want to be angry? You think I want to have anxiety? You think I want it? You think I want that? You think this is what I want? But I can't control it. Doesn't that sound like us? Harut. Harut. If you don't take on the Creator as your master, you will be missing the coach that's going to give you freedom in life. You must one day get up and be proud and say, 
Yes, I control my happiness. It's me. I can be calm. I am in control of my life. That is freedom. Don't tell me I'm free because nobody could tell me what to do. That's not real freedom. That's like level amateur freedom. It does nothing for you or very little for you. You need real freedom. And that you could only get. Harut ala luhot. I will end off with a beautiful pasuk. I don't think I have a more beautiful pasuk to share with you on this subject. And the words of David Melech, the great David Melech, in Tehillim, in Hallel, that we say on all our special days. Says David Melech, Anna Hashem. Please, Hashem, I need something. Anna means I really need something. Please, Hashem. Ki ani avdecha. He says, ani avdecha. I am your servant. I am your slave. Pitahta le muserai. He says, and I know that as your slave, sounds very unappealing to be someone's slave. I don't know that we would like to say those words. Hashem, I am your slave. No, it doesn't sound so good. Says David Melech, Pitahta I'm so proud to be a slave. I'm so excited to be a slave. And if you ask me why, would anyone be proud to be a slave? So he says, Because when I'm your slave, you are capable of untying all the ropes that are holding me down. The word Moserai means I have ropes that are holding me down in life. All the ropes that I mentioned today and many more. We all have them, and they're tying us down. Says David Melech, only one way to get them open, only one way to release all the ropes that tie us down. Only you can open my ropes. I did my job. I'm in. I am your servant. You tell me what not to eat. Tell me which tree not to eat from. I'm ready. Tell me what not to do. Tell me what to stay away from. I'm ready. And if you ask me, but David, you feel good about the pain of being an Eved? Says David, no, no, I keep my eye on the pleasure. I know that this pain that I'm putting in to be an Eved Hashem, which sometimes is not easy, sometimes it's complicated, Sometimes it's sacrifice. David, don't you feel bad about it? Don't you feel in pain that you're an Eved? Says David, no. My eyes always on the pleasure. I want to be a free man. I want to have all the shackles that are tying me down in life. Whether they're tying me emotionally, whether they're tying my brain down, whether they're tying any part of me down. I want 
to be free. And I know that only this investment is able to truly free me as a person. This is today's class. Thank you. Today's class, I'm over here. <laughs> today's class, today's class, today's class taught us that in order to enjoy the physical world, we need to invest. We need to put pain. And the pain to enjoy the physical world is you have to live with restrictions. And the only one who knows how to restrict in order to create free people is the creator of the world. He has no interest in slaves. The only thing he wants is for us to be free. So he says, take me as your coach and I will guide you to your freedom. And when you taste the freedom, you will understand there's nothing like it. On Pesach, on the night of Pesach, I bet this year, by your seder, you ate matzah and you ate maror. Matzah is the bread of freedom. When we left Mitzrayim, we were rushing. The salvation was coming so fast. We had no time to even let the flower rise. Maror is bitterness. The bitter times that we had in Egypt. I bet on your table this year, you first ate the matzah. And then you ate the maror. You made a beracha al-achilat matzah. And you ate the matzah. And then you said al-achilat maror. And then you ate the maror. And if you're wondering why you did that, it's because the Torah says, Al-Matzot Umrorim Yochlu. The order is Matzah and Maror. Seemingly, logic would have said, that's the wrong order. The right order is to eat Maror, bitter, and then the freedom. Why would we eat the bread of freedom before we eat the bitterness? It doesn't make sense. It's out of order. Chronologically, it's out of order. And the real answer to this is a very beautiful answer a very deep answer and I wish that we would be able to understand it in its total depth is that you really don't know how bitter the maror is until you taste the sweetness of freedom you can't understand what it means to live like a free person excuse me you can't understand how a big of a slave you were until you tasted freedom. Like a person who never kept Shabbat, who I've had a few times in my life, where people didn't keep Shabbat. Good people. They never learned. They never knew. And then after months and months of learning, and all of a sudden, they kept Shabbat. And after a few months of keeping Shabbat, sometimes a month, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes six. They look back, and I'm sure many of us could say the same, and maybe Shabbat or different things, and say, how in the world did I live without Shabbat? How do people live without Shabbat? How is it possible to live without Shabbat? But guess what? There are people right now who are mehalel Shabbat, and they have no remorse. They don't feel bad. 
They don't feel like they're missing out. The opposite. They look at Shomer Shabbat and says, why would you do that? Why are you doing what you do? What's wrong with you? We're the free people. And then you get the guy to be Shomer Shabbat for a few weeks, for a few months. And he looks back and he says, how did I live? I don't understand. How did I live my life without Shabbat? You could only appreciate the bitterness of being angry until when? When you become calm. You can only appreciate what you used to not enjoy when you have simha in your life. That's why it says matzah umaror. If you taste the maror first, you don't even know that it's so bad. When you get the matzah first, they say, wow, that maror is pretty bad. I don't know how we went through that. But this is the great taste of freedom that Hashem gives us. It is our goal that one day we should live with total freedom in this world and look back at all the days of slavery and say, I don't know how I used to live. All that jealousy that was eating at me, all that, all those issues that I used to have with this, with that guy, with this. How did I used to live? I don't remember. It was so bitter. That we could only get when we have the freedom. Be'ezrat Hashem, you should all be blessed with a life of simha and true freedom. Amen. Baruch Amen. Amen.